Amen. I'm going to ask for your grace for just a few more moments, if you're able, to remain standing as we look at our scripture for this morning found in James chapter number 3, verses 13 through 18. The word of God to the people of God. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. That sends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, good morning once again, everybody. Um, again, happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there, whether you are biological, step, foster, spiritual, any motherly figure of any kind. We are grateful for you, and we honor you today. We do understand that today may be a tough day for some. Um, maybe like me, your mom is no longer no longer here with us. Maybe you have a strained relationship with your mom. Maybe um, you're prayerful about becoming a mom. If you fall into any of those categories, I do want to let you know uh, that you're in my thoughts and my prayers today. Well, thank you again for being here. If this is your first time here, thank you for choosing us. My name is Rodney. I'm one of the pastors here at New City, and we've been walking together through a study of the book of James. Special thanks to Pastor Gabe for preaching such a great message to us last week, but today as we continue uh, with chapter number three, our title is True Wisdom, True Wisdom. Now with that, I want to start with a question this morning. Have you ever thought about what makes a person wise? You ever thought about that? What makes a person wise? I think we have all kinds of ideas, right? Perhaps it's somebody that has gray hair or a gray beard. Right? Perhaps it's um, someone with multiple degrees on their wall or someone who likes to read a lot. I think most of the people that you and I know are searching for wisdom in some sort of way. Searching for wisdom in some sort of way. From the young to the not so young, men and women alike have all turned to all sorts of things and people to gain wisdom. And for the most part, many of us, we use the filter of our own experiences to make sense out of the things that are going on in our world and in the world. And while that certainly has its place, my question is how reliable or how helpful is this worldly type of wisdom? Another question I have is, is there true wisdom available from God? Wisdom that can help you and I get through what we're going through. Wisdom that can help us with all the twists and the turns of life. Well, today in James 3, James will not only confirm that, yes, there is true wisdom available from God, but also he's going to show us three things to help us recognize true wisdom. It's important for us to understand. The first thing that I want to highlight for us today is that true wisdom is not just about knowledge. True wisdom is not just about 
knowledge. Let's look at verse 13 again. It says, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. Now, some of us might be surprised by this verse. In other words, what does an honorable life, good works, and humility have to do with wisdom? And I believe that's because, for the most part, the world defines wisdom as just having a good amount of knowledge about a particular subject. For instance, if someone has a PhD and they've authored many books, by the world standards, this person is considered wise. You think about it, it's the same in churches, isn't it? Who do we typically consider wise? We consider somebody wise who has a lot of biblical knowledge. But the way the world views wisdom is amoral. In other words, it's unrelated to morality. And in contrast, this scripture is telling us that a wise person is not someone who just has biblical knowledge, but they're also living it out in humility. In other words, wisdom is not just about words, but it's about a lifestyle. It's about how we live. And humility is a hallmark, James is saying, of someone who is wise and understanding. Once again, James has a no-holds-barred type of ministry approach. And here, he's challenging his church, and I believe God is challenging us, in understanding that our relationship with God is revealed through and by the life that we live. Just as we talked about in James 2 a few weeks ago, that works show the kind of faith we have, also works show the kind of wisdom that we have. And James is going to flush this point out fully in the upcoming verses. But his point with verse 13 is that true wisdom produces an honorable life, good works, and humility. True wisdom produces an honorable life, good works, and humility. I love what Dr. Tony Evans says. Dr. Tony Evans says that wisdom is the application of heavenly knowledge to earthly living. Now, for a moment, I want you to think about all of the knowledge about God that you have. Maybe you've been coming to church for many years and you've been subject to, to, to the word of God for a long time. I want you to think about all of the knowledge of God that you have and ask yourself, what is that knowledge producing in your life? The knowledge of God that you have, what is that knowledge producing? Is it producing greater humility in your marriage? Is it? Is it producing humility in your relationships at work? your relationship with your parents? Is it producing a greater humility with other believers? I think it's important for us to allow questions like this to sink in because it's important to identify the problem before we look to the solution. So James starts here in verse 13 by telling us that true wisdom is not just about knowledge. The second thing he says here is that true wisdom is not worldly wisdom. True wisdom is not worldly wisdom. Now, by worldly wisdom, James is referring to wisdom that is shaped solely or primarily by our experiences in the physical or natural world. That kind of wisdom. It's interesting to me, yet powerful, the way James addresses this worldly wisdom in these verses here. First, he, he addresses the root of it when he talks about selfishness and jealousy. And we can be sure that we are not acting with godly wisdom when these two things show up, jealousy and selfishness. Because at the root of it, it is putting, putting ourselves forward at the expense of somebody else. But he doesn't stop there. 
he goes on to talk about this in a few ways and look at or discuss how this flushes out. The first thing he says is that worldly wisdom is earthly. It's earthly. In other words, this is when our main concern tends to be mostly about our life or the things that we need or we're worried about in this materialistic world where we're only thinking about my school, my job, my promotion, my marriage, my kids, my retirement. When that's all our lives are consumed with, he says that's worldly wisdom and it's earthly. The second thing he says is that it is unspiritual. Strong language James is using here. Strong language undoubtedly to arrest our attention. He says it's unspiritual. Some, some other versions of scripture actually use the word sensual here instead of unspiritual, which means that this wisdom is controlled by impulses and sinful desires of the heart. It's also telling us that our decision-making is heavily influenced by how we feel at any given moment. And I believe it also includes the baggage that we carry from past experiences, past trauma, past hurt. Because these things shape our worldview. And if we're not careful, this is the wisdom that we, that we walk with. Now, undoubtedly, we ought to gain some things from what we've been through, right? Don't hear that. But what, but what James is saying is that if this governs the decision-making that we have, it's, it's, it's earthly and it's unspiritual. But the third word he uses here is that it's demonic. It's demonic. Now, I don't know about you, but that arrested my attention when I read that. He said it's demonic. Inside, if I'm honest, I was like, whoa, time out, bro. It's demonic? Now, what he's saying here is he's not saying that we're, we're, we're involved in some sort of voodoo or some sort of strange ritual. But when New Testament writers talk about things being demonic, it's a reference to the deception that results in an abandoning of the faith. Remember, the scripture says whatsoever is not a faith is what? Sin. Sin. In other words, my selfishness, in my selfishness, I can be so blind, so blind to what God wants that I don't even recognize or understand that I'm being deceived by this worldly wisdom. This is easy for us to fall into. Because sometimes we're blinded by our own ambition things that we want. And sometimes the things that we want are things that God wants us to have. He gave us a desire, but it's all about how do we go about getting it. James says that it is demonic. Why? Because it hardens our hearts. And I believe that James uses such graphic detail here to warn us about falling into this kind of deception when it affects both our hearts and our lifestyle, but hear me, it's not just a warning, it's also a call of repentance. It's also a call of repentance where we recognize that this is where we are. In verse 16, he says, the fruit of this selfishness and jealousy is disorder and evil of every kind. In other words, when you and I put ourselves on the throne room, on the throne seat of our hearts, and think that the world revolves around us, it can cause serious damage both naturally and spiritually. I know I'm not the only person in the room that has struggled with this. 
I mentioned this in part before, but I'll never forget when I was a, a, a rookie fireman on probation. And I had, a, I, I had planned a trip, and I was going, I forget, I was going somewhere like Playa de Carmen, Mexico, somewhere nice, right? I was going somewhere nice. And I had this trip planned. I planned it a long time in advance, and I was a, I was a probie, so I didn't have enough time to take the time off. But one of the great things about being a fireman is you can exchange shifts with people. And so I had it lined up. I had a young lady that, was, that, that had agreed to exchange shifts with me. The only problem is she backed out at the last minute. She backed out. And listen to me, I was determined to go on this trip. And so what did I do? I called out. Now, I know, I know I ain't the only one in this room that's called out saying that you were sick or something like that, and it wasn't you, wasn't true. But what did I do? I called out, and I went on my trip because I was going on this trip. And so I was a rookie on probation, and there were some things I didn't know about the system when you put in for leave and all that kind of stuff, and, and so I was found out. They found me out. <laughs> they found me out. And so I got in some serious trouble to the point where they were threatening to fire me. Now, mind you, everybody in the fire department knew I was a minister. They all knew. They all knew. And so they were threatening to fire me. So I had to go have all these meetings with the fire chief and sit before them. Long story short, I ended up getting six days off without pay, which may not seem like a lot, but with our schedule, we work 10 days a month. So I had six of those days without pay. Now, I wish I could tell you that at some point in that, when the young lady backed out on the exchange shift, I wish I could tell you, I said, okay, God, how do I get through what I'm going through? I need your wisdom to get through this. I didn't do that. I did what I felt was my only recourse, and I called out. You know why? Because it was all about my agenda. It was all about what Rodney wanted. Not once did I invite God in. Not true. You know why, when I invited God in? When I got in trouble. When I knew I, when I, knew I was going to get fired? Yes. Yeah. Praying hard. But not only did I lose pay, but I tarnished my witness. Because people knew. I had witnessed the folks in the fire department. They knew who I was. But it was all about my agenda doing things my way. We take these things for granted because we think they're just moments in our lives. But James is saying it's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic because you have abandoned the faith. You have abandoned the opportunity to trust God in your circumstance. You've abandoned the opportunity to trust God for the wisdom to get through what you are going through. This is why God is arresting our attention with this. So that when those type of opportunities come, James said when trouble comes, not if it comes, right? When trouble comes, consider it an opportunity for great joy. You know why? Because it's an opportunity to trust God, to gain wisdom from God. This is the true wisdom that James is talking about here. In fact, based on this passage, we can conclude that though we may say some things that might be right scripturally, if it's motivated by selfishness, then that kind of wisdom, James says, is from the world and not God. Sometimes we can even use the things of God to manipulate 
and bring about our own selfish gain. In fact, Matthew 7, 23, 21 through 23, this is when Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and perform many miracles? Then I will plainly say, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. This is why James is foot stomping this warning for his church. Because even as people of God, we are not exempt to this kind of demonic influence, demonic behavior. I know, I know this is a weighty subject. It's a weighty subject because it's dealing with our hearts. But what I'm learning is weighty subjects that deal with our hearts, they also point us towards Jesus. They point us towards the king. So James says, not only is true wisdom not just about knowledge, not only is true wisdom not worldly wisdom, but I love how he ends this passage. True wisdom is God's grace. True wisdom is the grace of God in verse 17 and 18. Remember, James is the Proverbs of the New Testament, right? James is all about wisdom for living, the intersection between godly knowledge and experience. Because the truth is, our ways display our wisdom, but God's ways display his wisdom, true wisdom. Proverbs 2.6 says, for the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. James says in one ver- chapter 1, verse 5, if anyone lacks wisdom, do what? Ask, not yourself, ask our generous God. Ask our generous God, and he will not rebuke you for asking. Here's the truth. To know yourself without God, to know yourself without God is to know your need for his grace. It's to know your need for his grace. We cannot gain true wisdom without turning to God for it. This is why we need humility to get it. It takes humility to humble our hearts. It takes humility to tame our tongue. We talked about that last week. For you and I, this means that we must believe the story of God in order to understand the truth about our story and about ourselves. See, when I wanted to go to Mexico, I didn't consider the story of God and what God could have possibly been doing in my heart and in my life in that moment. And it cost me. And it cost all of us when we don't consider that. But when we look at verse 17, what stands out to me is the phrase, wisdom from above is first pure. In other words, purity of heart is what produces peace, gentleness, and all the other things he talked about. In fact, the previous verses spoke about how our hearts and lifestyles can be motivated by selfishness and jealousy. So obviously, this purity cannot be produced from within. That's why the phrase, wisdom from above, shouts God's grace. Shouts God's grace. Because it's telling us that God is giving us something precious that we can't produce ourselves. Cannot produce this ourselves. God revealed his wisdom to us, not just by telling us about his son, but by sending his son, Jesus, the Lamb of God, to live the life that we're called to live, a life that we can never live on our own. So what does this mean for us? 
talk about the grace of God. It means that you and I, through his grace, as we walk in true wisdom, we get to reflect what we've received from him. Because the truth is, he gave us peace. He did that. He gave us gentleness. He yielded to others. As he suffered, he bled, he laid his life down. He's the one that's full of mercy. And you and I, we get to show that to a lost and a dying world. What a privilege and what an honor this is. When we walk in true wisdom, this is why we need all the reminders, family, that we can get that true wisdom is not just about knowledge. That true wisdom is not worldly wisdom and all these things that we put our trust in. And that true wisdom is, in fact, God's grace as revealed through the person of Jesus Christ. But it's also revealed through the relationships that he has with those that choose to serve and to follow him. Because only his work, only his work and his promise can produce the kind of wisdom that yields the fruits of righteousness. So both the challenge and the calling for us, and this is my bottom line, to live as one who is truly wise. To live as one who is truly wise. In other words, take the knowledge of God that you have and live it out to the best of your ability. I'm convinced that most of us don't need more knowledge. If we would just live out the knowledge that we have, God will continue to show himself faithful and mighty and give us more and more knowledge and more and more wisdom as we live this out. There are things that all of us are praying about right now. And maybe the wisdom we're seeking will come when we do something with the knowledge that we already have. Because here's what we know. God is faithful. God is loving. God is just. He's for us and he's with us. The question is, are we with him? And so as you leave today and you go back to work, you go back, to ho go back home and do all the things that you're doing, as you endeavor to raise your children in the ways of the Lord, the challenge is for you, you to live as one that is truly wise. And I think when we do that, we invite others. We encourage others. We become an example for others to do the same thing. Amen? To God be the glory. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful. that all we do, we can only do it through you. The only one who is truly wise, King Jesus. We're so grateful for the space of grace that is today. For the reminder to us to examine our ways. To abandon the wisdom of the world. To know that there is true wisdom available from you. True wisdom that can help us get through what we're going through. God, many of us are going through things right now. 
And if we're honest, we need your wisdom. So help us to step away from the things that have been familiar and comfortable. The things that have honestly been unreliable, inconsistent. But help us today, God, to take a step towards you. For you are true and you are wise. And you are ever waiting for your children to come to you. So, Father, we cast our cares and our concerns up to you. We pray that you give us the courage, the patience, whatever it is that we need to be still until we can walk in your wisdom. Help us to remember that where we are and what we're going through are indeed opportunities for great joy. We bless you, Father. We honor you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.